If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast. Without you seeing. Uh, And it's quite often a like, we've been chatting about something and then I go, yeah, yeah, we started recording ages ago. Okay, yeah. And we realised. Talked about needing a wee or something. Normally. Yeah. But we're, it's just us today. Oh, you're ruffling oh. your papers. Shall oh, is it really loud? Papers? Shall I rustle my papers? No, no, it, it sounds very, like, professional. There. Russell, Russell. Russell. Russell, Russell. Well, I just printed out, um, because I think we both listened to the audiobook, didn't we? Of we did. The, pa- the Power of Showing Up by Daniel Siegel and Tina Bryson. Um, and it came with... Oh, is her name Tina Bryson or is it Bryce something or other? There's Bryson on my handout. On my handout, like I'm at a conference. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's Tina Payne Bryson. But I didn't know oh, if that okay. was it. Um, but yeah, so on the audiobook, which I think is very helpful, they've got a PDF, which is one of their... I think actually, is it on their other book, on the, their other one, one of their other ones, The Whole Brain Child... They have mm-hmm. a bit that they're like, put this up on the fridge. And yeah, it's like... That's what it's supposed to be, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is not as um, accessible to put on the fridge, I don't think. No, I think it's, it's too bit... too much. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, it's a new book. It only came out in January. So there's not much kind of that I could find as like people chatting about it in the industry yeah. yet which is interesting did you do you normally look up the books that we're yes I normally do and I normally look for a review or a comment that is not entirely positive to yeah. try and get a bit more of a kind of balanced sort of um oh I hadn't considered that or whatever um and I have to say I just started looking at reviews of this one but all I could find is stuff on Goodreads and it's just everyone just like um, you know, gushing over it basically and saying mm. how brilliant it was. I couldn't find any. I didn't look very hard. I only looked for a few minutes. Um, did you find anything? No, no. I just. I think. I wonder if there's uh, a certain amount of half life with books and audio books, because um, uh, this is not related to books. But I quite often find on Amazon if you try and look up the review for something you're buying, and then the review is like posted really quickly. Well, you're like, yeah. looks great. Haven't taken it out of the box yet. And you're like, yeah, yeah. you sh- you Why shouldn't have written a review. It? I know, yeah, um, isn't it? Well, but I gave it as a present to somebody, <laughs> so I don't know. It's like, shut up then. <laughs> um, hey, hey, can I talk? Can I talk yeah. quickly? Have you ever yeah. listened to the Boring Talks podcast? No. It's on. I think it's on Radio Four. It's on BBC Radio anyway. It's on BBC Sounds. Um, look up the Boring Talks. I think you'd really like it. Um, okay. They're usually fairly short, and they're about something completely boring sounding but last night i listened to one on data centers and it was not okay. at all boring it was way i was trying to go to sleep and it was really um i can't sleep i don't know about you i'm like, yeah struggling at midnight, i'm going outdoors and ed is like what is <laughs> what are you doing and i just i just need to like look at the moon i just go like listen to the noises and i can hear all like little bank rolls and stuff in the in the shrubbery anyway that's a digression on a digression the boring talk <laughs> data centers he this bloke is like going and visiting these huge secretive weird buildings in places like 
Iceland and Greenland and stuff, yeah. um, where they have all of the servers that run the internet. So he goes to the one that, that Apple's <laughs> cloud is. Okay, like physical yeah. Place. And then he talks about how much energy they use and how big they are. And he there's loads oh, of it. Yeah. And loads of the podcast is just the noise he's recorded. So it's this really, really weird noise of like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of computers making the internet or like running the cloud. And it just like, so for long stretches of the podcast, you're just listening to this like weird humming sound. It's freaky. Oh, but um, weird. for now, like the, the amount of carbon emissions is just- Oh, it's huge. Insane. That's one of the, um, that's one of the main complaints I've heard about Bitcoin is- yeah, that's um, what it was, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so people farming Bitcoin uses loads of electricity. And like, if you're just using solar electricity, not so bad, but most of electricity is like coal generated or, you know, natural gas electricity, and that's less than ideal. So um, sure, don't write a review on Amazon unless it's meaningful because you are literally burning carbon by writing that pointless freaking review. I mean, it's probably this, this drop in the ocean, isn't it, at this point? No. No. It's not I just give up on everything. Say. We're just inside. Just yeah. give up on everything. Don't record this podcast. It's taking up internet. Yeah. Stop um, listening. Stop listening. You're using you're using your phone's battery. Think about it for a second. Is this okay. is this a good use of your phone's battery? You listening no. right now? No, not you, the listener. I'm talking to the listener now. This is not a good use of your phone's battery. Okay. Bye. Okay, they've all gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah back to the book we should talk about this book the um book. did you like the book did i like the book it was very good thank you i liked it because it was really interesting and it made me read right to the end oh see and i can't it. even say that i missed i dropped off the last 20 minutes i listened yeah. to it i said i listened to it um again you have made notes and i have listened to it a little bit a while ago but I will say that I listened to it on double speed while yeah. I was moving firewood um and and periodically chainsawing so there that may be bits though, because I would say one of my comments about it is it's very repetitive which is good okay. if you want to like dip in and out of it and you've forgotten what the previous paragraphs said and so mm -hmm. it would do lots and lots of recaps it probably could have been about half the length because they, they reiterate the same ideas a lot so if mm. you're listening to it in one big go then probably on double speed is the right speed and i have to say i don't normally do that and i did do that as well i listened to um one between one and a half and, and two um the whole way through um and that was fine but i would say that i think the book uh so having i have listened to a few and read a few of their other books because these the the two authors have written a couple of books together and i think they are um, this is the best example yet. I think they are really honing the skill of taking quite academic, you know, it's pop science. Let's, let's not be around the bush. This is pop science. Um, but making it very accessible to the right audience, which is parents. So I yeah. would say the whole brain child is somewhere in the middle of like, are you a, an early years practitioner? Are you a parent? Are you you know, quite well educated because a couple of this goes into some neuroscience. But this book, I was like, I would almost give this to any parent and mm -hmm. just go, you don't need to be, there's no kind of like, oh, well, if you've got a, a higher education degree in something, you'll probably follow this along. You know, this is very, very academically rigorous, but very accessible. Yeah, I would agree. I, 
um, we haven't really given it even a general intro. Uh, so it is a parenting book, isn't it? You could mm. definitely listen to it. It's, it's very relevant to our job. It's very relevant to our school. Um, and people, some people I'm sure already know quite a lot about attachment. Um, and I knew a little bit, but really wanted to know more. And mm-hmm. I think I completely agree with you with the way that they have um, explained attachment theory in a very science based. So they're not kind of being all fluffy and woolly about it. They're going literally when you scan people's brains or you, you mm. follow um, certain people from childhood through to adulthood and you look at their relationships through that time, you look at their behavior, you look at all of this other stuff. Um, this is what the data shows us. But then, mm-hmm. as you say, kind of explaining it in a very accessible way and a very um, sort of relative way. So this is what will happen with this particular attachment style for a, a child growing into an adult. And here's what you as a parent can do to ensure that life is better for that child. Mm. Um, I think I think one of the things that I would say that I find quite interesting about this book, I wouldn't say it about their other books. Oh, maybe I would. But um is this might just be how I internalize books like this but when I read these things and it talks about um because one of the main bits that they talk about is you know positive attachment looks like this and then they talk about all of the um oh I can't remember the right word now it's not like it's not like dysfunctional attachment but it's like insecure attachment and avoidant attachment and those kind of things those words Gemma's looking it up now but um what I would say is I find that really helpful to have in my head when I'm talking to adults because oh, yeah. this stuff doesn't go away. I think there's a there's a large uh, swathe of the population that might go, look, it's all great reading parenting books, but if you're not a parent or if your kids are too old, it doesn't matter. Or if you're, you could be like a, a business salesman and reading this book would genuinely help you because I think you would recognize things in other people. You start, you know, because they're talking about like, uh, you know, a child who doesn't have a secure attachment to their primary caregiver, or, for example, and they're saying that that child then still has the internal stress of you have left the room and I don't know when you're coming back and everything else, but they don't show it. And so they have all their internal signals up higher and all this stuff. And actually, if you go, if you think, okay, I'm now talking to an adult who has spent their 20 years of childhood going through that, then you're com- you're compassionate in a completely different way. Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's real crossovers between this and um, nonviolent communication and mm. Alfie Cohn. I think there's a there's big um, overlaps, and um, I would agree. There's definitely something they talk a lot about reflecting on your own childhood, don't they? Which mm-hmm. I think for some people who have had less than ideal childhoods, um, this book can feel quite challenging it's going to be difficult definitely and one of the reviews I read did say I read this and I cried just the whole way through as I reflected Mm. on my own life and they really strongly recommend that even if you um are going to find this difficult that it's absolutely worthwhile reflecting back on your childhood and your relationship with your primary caregivers and trying to work out what attachment there was going on there for you so that Mm. then you make sense of that and you kind of form your own narrative about your own life and people who Mm. are able to do that are able to have the mind sight to then uh, really think about what they want to provide for their children um Mm. and i can and yeah and and then you start to not only think about yourself but then as you say you think about other adults and you think about your partner and your friends and all this kind of thing and absolutely the overriding thing is not any kind of judgment it is completely compassionate 
and they talk a, long, a lot about neuroplasticity, don't they? Like the mm. Rudy Wax book about yeah. even if you have had the worst, uh, you know, attachment uh, with your caregiver, that you have the ability to make sense of that and move on past it. And, um, yeah, and doesn't I, I mean think... you're going to be a terrible parent. Well, I think one of the um, Alfie Cohn's unconditional parenting was there's, there's a large bit where he's talking about and he's saying it's very difficult for your brain to comprehend the idea that your parents didn't do the perfect job. Yeah. Um, and that that is a really difficult moment of self-reflection and to kind of pick it apart. But but in this book, I think it's quite early on. They're saying that in one of the studies, I can't remember which one, they're saying that the sort of average secure attachment works out to two thirds of, of children. I can't remember what it is. X years old. Um, but then if you scale that up and you go, OK, so there's probably, let's say, a few more uh, develop a secure attachment when they meet a different caregiver, you know, a teacher, a, um, a, an uncle or whatever else. Um, but that, let's roughly imagine that a quarter of adults do not have a secure attachment in their past. That's really big. That's really big to, to take on board and to go. If you do have a secure attachment... Because I think cards on the table, I would go back and say, I, I'm pretty sure I, I had a secure attachment with, with both my parents. Um, so then you're coming at from this place of like, oh, my God, I'm so privileged to have had this. Look at all the ways this could have gone wrong. Look at yeah. all the things, you know. Um, and it's been really interesting reflecting back to um, just the immediate impact of me and my children, because my a youngest child is uh, nine months old. And um, just as soon as I put the book down, it was like, it was like a new lens. I'm not saying I, you know, I'm never yeah, one yeah. of those people that would say like, oh, let her cry it out or like, she doesn't need me. But I'm reading her face and knowing, going, internalizing it as like, I have a need and she's looking to see if I'm going to fulfill that need. And suddenly that onus hits me in a completely different way from like a, you know, I look after my children. That's a very given thing. But when you go, that baby is looking to see if you will constantly fulfill their needs and you just go, oh, gee, I will drop whatever. Like, <laughs> I'm just I'm just going for it, you know, and I think. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I agree. And I think that there are. Or, or, yeah. As soon as you start reading it, then you start parenting even more intentionally, um, which is really good. And that they they what I really like about it is that. Um, I started listening to it and I, like you I, because we both think a lot about these kind of things right we're all constantly yeah. thinking about ch child development and adults relationship with children and how we can make that better and help children so we're already pretty pre preoccupied with it and I started listening to this book and I started going oh my god you know shit oh I, I need to do better and this kind of thing and then they as soon as I began to feel that they were like we're not saying that this means you have to be perfect of course you're not mm. perfect of course you're going to make mistakes um, mm -hmm. you know if you're the kind of person who immediately feels guilty all the time then don't do that la 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 and I'm yeah. like oh, okay yeah good I'm really glad you said that because um, without those statements if you're already somebody who thinks about this stuff quite a lot you could as you describe you know like oh my god I hate to, yeah. this is crucially important if I don't show up for them and they've got a really good bit when they talk about um, they talk about a thing that I think is very relatable to forest school where they say it's not that your children will never struggle yeah. it it's you know it's not saying don't ever let them have a challenge and don't ever let them 
be independent in any way and you know literally on the apron strings for the rest of their life it's it's saying no let them have those challenges but make sure as much as you are able to you are there as their safe place and I really liked the analogy of um a ship coming back from a storm Mm -hmm. and going what they what that ship needs is a safe harbor they don't need another storm so and that really kind of resonates with that idea of like you know, if your kid's done something wrong and then they come they come to you or you find out about it, what they don't need is another tsunami punching them. You just need yeah. to kind of go, okay, this is the safe place you can come to and to rebuild and try and go out on another voyage in a bit, yeah. you know? Yeah, I also really liked the, um, uh, the examples of uh, kind of children being uh, dysregulated and then you... Um, kind of examples of you know if you if you react in a certain way to your child for example I'm going to use an example it's very true in my own life uh, mm-hmm. it's the end of screen time now so <laughs> rather than because uh, you can it's almost like when you're kind of negative with your kids it's it's like you're being negative with yourself you're kind of going oh <laughs> they are in this dysregulated place because of me because my parenting skills aren't up to it or I've done something wrong I've done something which has put them into this state is how I often view it and therefore I feel all rubbish about everything and so then I'll kind of push negativity into the situation and fuel this kind of negative spiral whereas if you kind of take I, I like their kind of um uh advice on on breathing and saying telling yourself to calm down to mental calm down is never going to work but putting it into your body first of all and trying to take a deep breath and relax yourself and all the rest of it and then even if the dysregulation has come from a place where their behavior is unacceptable they've like you know as you say but they've done something that is out of line and mm. you now is not the time to start lecturing them about what they've done that's out of line or start talking about like more rules or more boundaries because that's actually not going to end the tantrum if they're properly dysregulated that, that is not the time for that you need to let everything calm down first before then you might talk about that later you know a bit later mm. um and I, I, I really liked that reminder as obvious as it sounds um I thought that was really good yeah yeah definitely and it it, it it's laid out in a very um I think they've done well as a hook to give it these four s's because that does make it very you know you could talk about it in a really abstract way and go well they need to feel this and they need and this boiling it down to four things and going are they feeling safe are they feeling seen soothed secure those things are just the one word things you would go oh i'm pretty sure i i get that you know yeah yeah and seen i think is the 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 interesting one for me because i think if you're someone who is um uh what should we say in in the attachment theory camp maybe because yeah. i know I, i'm aware that not everybody is on board with attachment theory and that um you know i think it i, I think i'm right in saying it's reasonably new as a way of looking at, at child development but to me it seems to resonate and it seems to hold up to scrutiny um so i think you would take if you were someone that way involved in inclined that you would take safe and soothed and secure as kind of those might be obvious ones to do you, you might see a distressed child and think, OK, then maybe they're not feeling safe. Maybe maybe, you know, parents job is to soothe and 
parents' job is to to make sure things are secure, you know, that they're getting on. But seen is an interesting one in yeah. that in that I think that is where my experience says a lot of children, if they're lacking one of these, that's the one they're lacking. Yeah. You know, and, and when I say lacking, I mean, I, I mean it in terms of they haven't had as many experiences of that. You know, they they probably hopefully have had quite a few experiences feeling safe. Hopefully it's almost I mean, I might go so far as to say that if you don't have enough experiences of feeling safe, that is very obvious in the way that behavior prevent presents. Yeah. If yeah. you don't have enough uh, experiences of feeling soothed by a, by a caregiver, that is quite immediately obvious in the way behavior presents same for secure if you're not secure in who's going to come and pick you up who's not going to be yeah. there whether you those those three present quite quickly and quite like from a teaching and a leader's point of view you would go i recognize that child but a child that's lacking in experiences of being seen probably has a better chance of masking that day to day yeah would you definitely. say yeah, and I like the way that they describe that because you could definitely, as a parent or or an adult that's working with children, you could um, you could easily miss that as well in terms of what you're providing for the child. You might mm. think, oh well, you know, I'm looking after them and I'm planning for them and all the rest of that kind of thing, but actually stopping and slowing down and seeing them for who they really are is really important, but could be overlooked by an adult. So they give examples of. Um, you know if you're thinking about your own children are you really seeing them for who they are or are you projecting onto them what you want them to be or your hopes and dreams for them so you really mm -hmm. want them to be academic or you really want them to be sporty or you um project onto them oh they're just like me or he takes after his dad or you know he's the opposite of his sister so yeah you're just sort of making assumptions and it's like a veneer of of projection that you're putting onto them whereas if you take time to really see them and really listen to what's going on in their inner world then the connection between you is going to be much much better and they give just a practical example of uh, bedtime just uh, that being quite a good time for sort of open chat and being relaxed together and um in whatever bedtime routine you have with your children even quite old children um that you have some time where you haven't got a thing that you're doing we, we're not reading we've, now. we've done we that. have both talked about um uh at separate times our children defragging yeah just just before bed just kind of a random gargle of words and phrases that might have come up in the day or you know just as they're going down they pop up and go why did that man have red shoes on and it's something that happened at like yeah. you know a passing thing that happened in the morning and you're just like okay yeah. let's just get all this through let's just defrag and uh yeah. you know clean the yeah. clean the rom yeah rather and, and taking the time to do that because they do say and they is in the writing of the book it's almost like they kind of uh jump ahead and go oh when we say this parents are gonna think mm. blah 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 so we better say something to counter that because you know they're describing this bedtime uh sort of empty space for talking and they immediately go you're probably thinking yes of course but you know it's really important the children get their sleep like they can't stay up too late it's really important for them and you know because obviously they're thinking oh parents are going to be like what the bedtime routine is already 45 minutes long and if I then do another however many minutes long of just yeah. chatting then it's just not sustainable and they'll never sleep and blah 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 um but I that's one of the things I started to do as soon as I got to that bit in the book and so I've done it a few times with my daughter 
and um, and I just kneel down by the side of her bed and just sort of stroke her head, and then we're both mm-hmm. in silence for a bit, and then she just starts talking. It's amazing because they do say that they're like, you may find that you lie there in silence yeah. for a bit, and that's fine, and you won't you you won't always find that that is the time for some huge revelation or for them to express some really deep seated worry. Um, it might just be like like you say a chat about the man with red shoes or a chat about their favorite tv show but it's like a really lovely moment where they just tell them that they just say what's going on inside their inner world and you listen to that and and respond to it which is very easy to do but i think makes a huge difference in helps yeah to, to understand what's going on inside of them I think they could have, it wouldn't have fitted with the system, but I think you could reword seen as valued. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that feeling of being valued, that feeling of being valuable, that your opinions have weight, that your feelings uh, count in some way. That's, I, I, you know, I know that a V wouldn't have worked as well and they've got me. I, I, I know, know what you mean. I know what you mean. Go on. Well, no, I was going to say that I think, um, going back to what you were saying earlier about the... Um, almost preempt it's like they're having a conversation with a with an imaginary parent but they and they can they can go i know you're going to say this or i know you're going to say and i think that possibly is one of the techniques that i think makes when you read it you you feel like they've they've hit the right tone you know when i was saying at the at the top oh they've they've got this really accessible thing and either they have sort of crafted this and tested it with different parents or throughout their careers of writing so far they've received enough feedback on their other books of like you didn't mention this and you and it seems like they have been reflective enough to take that on board and go okay well we'll we'll write it in this style then we'll write it in yeah or we'll bring we'll mention this it feels very um because of how many you know there are so many examples in this book I i think there's probably it probably alternates in terms of paragraph of like, here's a thing, here's an example, here's an idea, here's an example, here's an idea. You know, there's so many that it it does feel very actionable, but not in a way of giving you steps, not in a way of saying do one, two, do two, do three. It just kind of gives you so much. It's almost like being immersed, isn't it? In a, um, I wonder if it's to do with maybe, you know, this, this idea of like, it takes a child, it takes a tribe, it takes a whole village to raise a child. And um, if you, because of the way our lives are, you know, in general, but particularly right now with us being um, in lockdown, um, we're not able to see, we don't see as much of other people's parenting as we might have done previously. And so, uh, in lieu of being in sort of a village of huts, I'm going really, you know, stereotypical here, but if you think of a village of huts where you would hear everything everyone said to their children and, uh, you know, you would see the results of those children as they grew up and you would see who, whatever. And it's almost like, well, to replicate that, what we'll do is we'll immerse you in this sort of soup of examples and experiences and you'll just pick it up through osmosis. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, before I forget, can I just go back to what you said about um, you could replace uh, see like seeing your child the that s uh-huh. in the sequence um, with the word value, and I I see what you mean, but I also think that there's more to that word see than just value. So um, I definitely think into like seeing them honestly, so seeing their difficulties as well as their strengths, so yeah. l- loving them unconditionally 
but having a very realistic view of, for example, what they find difficult or um, where where they're not developed yet. Do you know what I mean? Rather than just mm-hmm. going, oh, you're just being silly that you don't want to go and do that thing, you know, actually yeah. go, oh, right, okay, no, I'm really seeing you now. I'm really tuning in and I'm really trying to find out why. Okay, you actually don't have that skill yet or you really don't have that ability or you have a learning problem there do you know what I mean it could be anywhere Mm -hmm. on that scale couldn't it to do with um just needing more experience and coaching or actually there's something a bit more um and and that kind of feeds into their um they talk quite a lot about mindsight and that mindsight oh yeah incredible as a phrase um um, yeah cool well I was gonna say that the both the seeing part I think is very Mm -hmm. relevant to forest school and when I was listening to it I was really thinking about um the difference between being a class teacher of 30 children teaching the national curriculum at the current time and Mm -hmm. being a forest school leader with maybe the same class of 30 kids you know being realistic lots of us are working with large classes but Mm -hmm. uh working through a forest school approach um I mean that is the crux of it really isn't it through forest school you get to see the children you are you're able to observe and tailor what you are facilitating to do with what you're really seeing those children do without and often if it's if it isn't your class as well so if it's a a class who are coming away from their class teacher or working with their class teacher but with you you're coming there from a completely fresh approach you haven't seen them all year struggling with maths english science behavior being able to sit on a chair you are Mm -hmm. getting them fresh and you're meeting them finding out where they are and kind of planning appropriately for that um which is yeah in my opinion of course and i'm sure in yours and probably (laughs) everyone who's listening that is what we all should be doing when there is no kind of top-down approach of you must all do this you must all do that and the other um and i think the same thing with mindsight that all of the reflection that we do through forest school all of the Mm -hmm. kind of connections and relationships that we foster um and yeah, I mean, especially reflection. So talking about times that were tricky, talking about things that we enjoyed, talking about um, all those kind of things, both as practitioners and inviting our learners to do that is absolutely promoting mind sight. So have, being able to reflect on your mind's own workings um, is invaluable. Mm. I think it's, it's um, a skill that I think is uh, very obvious might be the wrong word um it's to me it seems that it's a skill that is lacking in a in a lot of children is that mind sight kind of um because my, I, I feel like it's close to empathy but it's not exactly empathy because i think empathy is slightly different and mind sight is kind of empathy plus understanding the logic of some, how someone's thinking in my head uh, i sort of differentiate as like empathy is completely understanding the right side you know, of, of the brain and going, I think you are feeling angry. I think you are feeling sad or doing whatever. Um, and this mindset is kind of like, yes, you, you get that they are feeling angry, but also getting that idea of I, I trying to work out why you, why you are angry or lo- yeah. you know, what the narrative of what's making you angry. Well, they, and um, they call it deep diving and chasing the why in the book. Don't yeah. they? So you're presenting yeah. some challenging behavior, like chase the why. Isn't mindsight also the ability to see your own mind? Isn't it like yeah. um, like meditation, like mindfulness, I mean, um, developing that kind of extra 
awareness of being able to view your own mind its own workings and being able therefore to uh, they call it like intra-soothing don't they so mm-hmm. being able to self-regulate basically well i think i think one of the the things that appeals to me about this the way they've presented it and um so they've both um to my knowledge both been quite heavily involved in mindfulness as a practice yeah. and a and neurodiversity and stuff like that and um whenever i have seen resources for building up mindfulness especially with children um i think a lot of it sits on the wanky end of the spectrum or it sits on the like um you know that child that's running around and kicking the chairs why don't you get them to sit down quietly and do whatever right so it's not gonna fucking work But, but what i think is good about this is in the same way that you might have um if I, in fact, I've had this head teachers who have gone, um, I would like every member of staff to make a concerted effort to say thank you to children when they hold the door open or to um, acknowledge other members of staff by saying good morning, purely in the hopes that with no goading whatsoever, that that just becomes part of the culture and that children pick up on that idea of like, through osmosis it's almost like well the grown-ups will say good morning and and wave to each other so i think what i'll do is i'll say good morning and wave to people and then you get this culture of you know that's how they've done it um and i think that's what i quite like about the way they're talking about mindsight um is that they they're just saying that uh, if i'm understanding it right that by verbalizing what what you're doing and what you're thinking and saying to it you know if um you've got two children with you and one of them's very upset, but the other one is there while you bend down and get close and go, I think you're feeling quite angry. Would it be, you know, I think it might be that you feel like you haven't had a fair turn and so that you're doing this and, you know, that all that non-violent stuff, um, getting into that narrative in, inside their head and that other child watches it and then they have got conflict resolution skills that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And conflict resolution, I think, is one of the main things that I could be wrong, but I think lots of teachers would say my job would be immediately easier if the children could do conflict resolution independently. And so this is a really amazing kind of idea of just like, this is how you could get conflict resolution nailed, Mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked as well. um, them. they, They talked a lot about connection and feeling so this uh, talk about uh, children being seen, but also being felt. So feeling mm-hmm. felt um, mm-hmm. and feeling like they're part of a we and a connection and a joining and how that starts with a strong attachment with a caregiver, but then extends to um, beyond that to other people in society and your other relationships that you might have. And then extends beyond that into nature and the planet. And mm-hmm. I love that. I love that kind of um, uh, you modelling and and for, uh, creating a strong attachment shows a child the possibilities for the, a feeling of connection that goes as far as the planet and nature i thought mm. that was really really lovely and thought wow that's you know a, a chance for us as forest school practitioners as well to um to do that on our small scale in our you know obviously carers with their children for long periods of time and for you know 24 hours a day and and years and years and we're a blink of an eye for a lot of children who are with us but if we can do even a sprinkling of this uh, mm. connection between us and the children and then demonstrate it in, into the you know extend that into 
nature and the wider world I think that's a kind of key to future happiness isn't it yeah I think as you as you were just saying that it kind of clicked in my head that maybe I think I internally I think I think of the um so uh because it's on my head uh, quite a lot recently the second forest school principle of uh, it must need the fsa principle that says it needs to take place in a woodland or natural environment um and then it builds into what we're talking about here of it being a connection to a natural space and i think the way my brain has uh framed this whole thing is that i do think of the woodland as our space yeah but the, but in my head some of us are there for a bit and some of us are there for a long time and some of us are there all the time and when I say some of us I'm including flora and fauna in that group mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'm kind I kind of feel like those and and it comes with you know that maybe it's personification maybe it's anthropomorphizing or whatever but that idea of naming the trees and having, you know, oh, I know this tree, I know a bit of its history, I know a, a bit of how old it is, or I can see someone's coppice that a while ago, whatever. And and feeling like that person is as much of a part of the forest school community as one of the children that comes for a six week block. Mm-hmm. We are all in that space, some of us for 400 years, some of us yeah. for six weeks. But that is the framework that knits that community together. Mm. And whether I've, whether I have ever, I mean, I don't think I have ever verbalised that because I've only just made it clear in my own head. Mm-hmm. But I hope, I would hope that I have subconsciously maybe put that across to the groups, you know, to the children to say, there is, you know, everybody is a part of this. Every, every, oh, it's really difficult to choose a word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Everybody <laughs> or everyone. Yeah, and then if you say every everything, then that you get that thing of oh, you you shouldn't call the children things. (laughs) Yeah, you should really read um Overstory, um by Brian somebody. Uh, Have you got it next year? I normally do, but it's not. Um, it won the Pulitzer Prize last year. It's a novel. It's fiction. I was telling I was telling you about it. It's quite hefty. Um, and it uh, is fiction, but each of the characters in it has a special relationship with one or more trees. Um, okay. And so you learn quite a lot about different species of tree at the same time as reading the narrative fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a bit like, um, oh, what's the one about the trees talking to each other underground? Secret life. Yeah, so it's a bit like that. And one of the characters in the story ends up um, discovering that science. You know, she is the okay. she is, she is a fictionalised version. She's a woman who does it. Um, but it, again, puts another layer of that kind of understanding of trees and emotions towards trees. And since reading it, like you describe, I've got... Uh, and I don't know, oh, yeah, I know what you mean about whether it is anthropomorphizing them or projecting um and i don't think it really matters if it is you know if you're just if you are yeah. projecting your own inner feelings it doesn't really matter it's just a it is a feeling of connection that comes from you towards the tree as a kind of fellow being and in that's in the book one of the characters is a lawyer and he's reading through um some some stuff that is basically suggesting that trees 
are people and trees should have mm-hmm. the same rights as people. So a lot of it is about campaigning to stop ancient woodland in America being destroyed. Um, and so this person comes up with a really articulate argument to say that trees, the, the rights should ex- extend to trees because they are a community and because they do communicate with one another and because they provide one another and look after each other and all the rest of it. Um, they should have rights just as much as a human. Um, and it's a really interesting um, idea. I think it could be one of those things that f- that falls into um, a benefit, uh, what I might call a beneficial lie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even if uh, actually, do you know what? Link it back to um, the left brain, right brain, in the whole brain child. They acknowledge these these same authors that have written this power of showing up book. They acknowledge quite early on scans of the brain show that it reroutes to wherever makes the most sense it isn't that all of your emotional planning happens in the right side and the left side but it is a convenient framework and it is a convenient way to look at the world and i think that nature connection and that community connection is another way of doing that you know maybe it's social manipulation but if it's social manipulation that means that we keep um you know a planet that we can live on cool i'm all for everybody being lied to you know yeah exactly yeah um when you read this book did you so i think we would agree that it's it's a parenting book which uh leaders could leaders and teachers could kind of read this book and, and would have a lot of things to um act on but it's primarily a book for parents um and i think one of the struggles about reading this was that um, they do talk about having a, a secure attachment and to it being your, a non-parenting adult. But one of the things that made me, um, I guess, maybe l- lament a little bit is the right word, is that even with the best will in the world to do all these things and to go, I am going to be, you know, as, I don't know what the word is, a secure and attaching post as I can be, let's say, mm-hmm. for children. If you're working in a state system or even you're working in a um, a group, you know, like an independent setting like ours, if you have a, a child for six weeks, are you able to do that? And have you missed an opportunity yeah. by doing that? And OK, OK, it brings it back to the forest school principle of it being long term, um, which is obviously great. And I think this feeds massively into that to go the be- the relationships and the learning are better the longer you go, not just from an academic vo- viewpoint of like, I know that uh, little Tommy uh, is interested in worms. You get it, It's another layer of that. It's like, I know what sounds really like I'm an evil uh, villain in a Bond character. But if you go, I know what will make him emotionally scared, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really powerful piece of knowledge. Or I know what will, um, you know, I know what he's going to need to tell me about that stuff that you can't get in a, a one-off drop-in session. Here you go. We rolled the, we rolled the toilet roll in some bird seed and you all went home, you know, long-term forest school, I think is where this comes out. And it did make me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was wondering about age group for this book. And in my immediate thought when I read it was like, ah, get it into the hands of every early years and preschool teacher that is, you know, exactly where it needs to go. I think it's, I think it's all ages actually. And some, well, that's, yeah. I, really read, I really do strongly feel an age group. 
Um, but with this one, I had the same instinct as you in terms of like, I really want to recommend it to everyone I know who's got a baby. I just think it's one of those ones where mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, it's, it's so much better to know the stuff than to not know it. And the sooner you know it, the better. Um, but it's also really relevant to, um, to teenagers and to, and to young adults as well. I think it's for every age group. And I think it's particularly relevant at the moment and i think mm. it's one of those i'm basically like living in this hope during this pandemic that um after this time of uh social isolation and schools closed and families just being together um one of the kind of hopes i'm pinning up there is that life won't go back to normal it can't go back to normal and that those of not just parents but forest school leaders or anyone else who gives a shit about kids will hopefully be able to work together to change what was before so I really want schools to be different when kids go back I really want them to apart from taking a measured approach to uh, how children begin back at school um, Mm -hmm. I want school to be different and this is the kind of book where I feel like if enough of us read it and then went hold on a minute this isn't right like you know and demanded change Mm. um this is a, a nice way to kind of back yourself up. You know, if you've got a kind of gut feeling that things aren't right in the school system, um, this is a really nice way to kind of bring those like instincts together and go, oh, you know, um, I, on the kind of, it's sort of related. They talk about um, ACEs, so adverse childhood mm-hmm. experiences in this book. And, um, and if you haven't, read anything about aces or heard about them then definitely do a bit of reading and research about that because it's completely fascinating they've basically um, discovered that um you can determine your ace score by answering several questions and they've actually worked out that it has an adverse effect on not just your mental health and your relationships but and your kind of success in life but also your physical health you know you're more prone Mm -hmm. to heart disease for example if you've had a higher ace score um and that's really relevant now you know we're living in a time where children are hopefully not going to be feeling awful every minute of every day but this is going to be a weirdly traumatic time in their life for a lot of children and um i just wanted to say that i've I've watched a video recently which is really good by suzanne zedike who um knows all about aces and she's awesome um and it's on youtube and it's called Coping with the Anxieties of Coronavirus. And she, it's it's her basically doing a video about it. Um, and it's um, and it's really good. And I think it's a really, it overlaps with this book quite a lot and talks about kind of approach to working with your kids whilst they're with you the whole time and helping them to um, be grounded during this time. It's, it's really good. But I know what you mean about like, you feel like, through forest school with the children you work with the groups you work with you could be making a real difference by making secure attachment with those young people where they might not have had um had that in other areas of their life but Mm. the it's almost like the pressure is on you even more because and the guilt because you know it's going to end so you know some of our young people you know we we work with them for years but they are going to leave eventually and you think, oh, is it? And they're only with us for a handful of time per week. Mm. And you think, oh, it's not enough. But then it's better than nothing. I guess you have to look on the bright side, don't you? You think 
the, and yeah, the interesting about ACEs is that if you if you have had a positive relationship with at least one adult who gave a shit about you, then your ACE score can be neutralised, basically, which is completely mm-hmm. fascinating. So that's why it kind of works hand in hand with this. Did you yeah. um, have you have you spoken to your parents since, like since reading this book and have you like thanked them because I got that like you know when you're saying you feel like you've got a you had a secure attachment with both your parents mm-hmm. I've really um I've really had the uh like urge to kind of call my mum and go thanks mum <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of say you know you might think back on your own parent and go well they weren't perfect but I really see where they were coming from and it talks about thinking about their own child as well doesn't it and think about what their parents parents might have been like them yeah and the challenges that they might have overcome to then well actually it's interesting isn't it um it goes back to you disagreed with me when i was reading uh a book by dan carlin who was talking about um lots of different things through history and um he was saying that uh if you track back and you go like oh it was however many years ago we banned the beating of children in schools and it was however many years before that that we banned um you know people cruel and unusual punishment and how long ago was it that we um stopped doing this to children or stopped doing this to children all this stuff that you know you go back through history and you know how long ago have you got to get before you go a child of five is being put out to work whether or not they've got secure attachment or whatever um and it would and he was saying that if you look back at history you have to remember that not only is the world full of but all of the leaders in world history most likely had a childhood that we would now deem as abusive. And if you put this on it and you go, you know, until very recently, you have to look at every, you know, how many children were shipped out to um, wet nurses or to whatever, you know, to just go, Oh, whatever else, you know, or there's, um, there's a design um, in an American history book for um, how to build a wooden cot that is the right height for a, a goat to come and stand over um, because they would have a goat that would uh, come and literally stand with its um, teats over the cot and the baby would feed from the yeah. goat. So if we're talking about secure attachment, there is, a, there is a non-zero amount of people who have had a secure attachment with a goat, right? Wow. So yeah. then you go back through, you know, I'm, talk, I'm taking, it's kind of you, you can narrowly look at it and go, what did your parents have and did they have secure attachment? And if so, yes. If so, why? If not, why? But then you broaden that out and you go, most of world history has been run by people without secure attachment and with abusive childhoods. Yeah. And how does that play out? Can you, can you blame anyone for anything now? If Mm. you think about their childhoods, it's really interesting. Um, You know, cause we're just getting too soft. All of this is just everybody getting soft. (laughs) just all namby pamby feelings nobody can nobody can see my sarcastic facial expressions i don't mean any of that obviously what did i disagree with you about on that then you said you didn't uh, uh, maybe i phrased it differently at the time but i think you said that you that there was more of an influence on like but if everybody is getting fed by a goat it's not an issue or if everybody is getting um beaten by the headmaster then you just accommodate to it yeah you were a real dick about it as well you 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 kicked me in the shins at one point i remember and you said shut up you (laughs) oh not that long ago i didn't read the book that long ago but um 
<laughs> I don't. We don't have. A, I don't have a secure attachment with you. That's what it is. No. I never. I never know if you're gonna kick me in the shins and tell me to shut up or. Exactly. It's a disorganized attachment. I am both a threat and a source of fear, but also your significant caregiver. <laughs> so <laughs> you're both attached and repelled at the same yeah. time when in the woods yes. and you just don't know where to turn. No, yeah. I don't ever. Mm-hmm. It's, um, so do you think there's anything missing from this book that you think like, oh, they mentioned that and I wish they'd said it more or uh, they, they could have talked about this topic? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that... They at one point I think it's the the long chapter about attachment types. They do actually say at the beginning, you can this skip is quite it. a heavy going chapter. You can skip it, and I think that chapter is probably the most useful for well, is particularly useful for practitioners if you don't already know the ins and outs of attachment theory. So I'd say that mm. if you were going to read it not as a parent but as somebody who just was like, oh yeah, attachment theory, I've kind of heard of that and I know a little bit, but I'd really want to know exactly all about it that's the chapter to um, listen to. Um, I do wonder, I, I did find myself wanting to have a, a hard physical copy of the book um, mm-hmm. at times and having read The Whole Brain Child in a real copy, uh, the illustrations were really helpful and really mm-hmm. nice, um, except when they were full of weird cartoony dialogue which you didn't <laughs> like um but someone uh, one of the uh, one of the reviews i read of this book said the same thing and said that the illustrations in the physical copy uh were really helpful so right. i kind of i would like to have seen those so that's mm. the thing i say was missing from the audiobook kind of thing i think you. i i think they touched on um so i think they absolutely nailed their target market of parents and parenting and um like we were saying you know this is a helpful book for practitioners and just for people to to understand each other in the world um but i you know i I did kind of think as i was reading it i was kind of getting the idea that like i think if they wanted to they could write a really good book for teachers and childcare workers with 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 almost the same content it would just need tweaking very slightly and a bit more um maybe even a bit more back not background but you know the the sort of academic sciencey stuff of it for me personally i would have liked it turned turned up a couple of notches um but and i think then because when they're talking through if if you're talking to a parent the automatic assumption is you are in a incredibly long-term relationship with the child here yeah. you know um or, or or thinking back to your own parents you are in that long-term relationship so it would be interesting to see what they would write if you were saying i am about to undertake six weeks with a child or i'm going to be a, their class teacher for one year or I'm going to be mentoring them two hours a week. You know, would they really, recommend... Do you actually think it would be that different? I think it would be pretty similar. And you just made me remember that they give an example in the book of a pretty shit teacher. Do you remember? In the, she's like a preschool teacher. I'm sure it's like a made-up scenario, but... I would um, hope so. 
their, their preschool teacher is saying, go out, everybody, it's break time now, everyone stop what they're doing, go outside. And their little mm-hmm. child is making a picture for his mum and he doesn't stop doing it. And oh, she's yeah. like, come on, you heard what I said, you need to put the pen down now, go outside. And he's like, oh, no, I, please, I just need to finish this, I need to finish this. And she's like, no means no, you need to put the pen down and go outside. And then he just, and then tries to take the paper away from him and then it rips and then he explodes and shouts all kinds of horrible things at her um and then he gets sent to the principal's office or whatever it's quite american the book isn't it and mm. uh then the counselor the school counselor comes in and then uses the correct approach which is like empathy listening remaining mind calm, mindset all that kind of stuff oh that must have, i could tell you were doing that picture of your mom that must have really upset you um and you know talks about how the teacher should have approached it but i kind of got the vibe that they were almost like, well, yeah, teachers will usually react wrongly. Teachers usually will tell the kids to shut up and follow instructions because there's loads of kids there and I just need to go on with my job. And it's always the school mm-hmm. counsellor who's going to have that time to reflect. And they, they do say, like, what the teacher should have done is blah, 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 blah. And that would have more quickly sorted out the situation, mm-hmm. saved her time and um, had a better relationship with the child and the ch- child's going to be happier and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that kind of is, in a way, advice for um, for teachers. I there. think it but is, and it is an assumption that, like, it's going to be the school counselor type character, or you know, if you're a member of staff who is working with nurture groups, for example, or you're the senko or whatever, that you're going to maybe have the opportunity and the chance to build those relationships better than if you were. Oh, and also there's another reference to a teacher. Um, where they're saying that they're speaking at a conference and the teacher says, if what you say is true, I'm going to have to completely mm-hmm. put my whole um, discipline strategy in the bin. And she's using the traffic light thing that basically all bloody schools use with the names oh, on the closed page the and they're moving from bin. red, amber, green. And they all start on green. And if they're bad, they get to amber. And if they're really bad, they've gone red and their parents are called. And uh, and the But Gemma, some schools have made it nice. Sometimes it's a rainbow and a storm cloud. Yeah. That can't be damaging, can it? A and storm? then she describes how it's, you know, and then I think it's Tina Pace, whatever her name is, Payne Bryson, who says to her, so is this is this working, though? Are you seeing the same kids being put onto red? She's like, yep, it's the same kids every time being put onto red, so much so that their names have been rubbed off the name cards. And she's like, well, yeah, no, it clearly isn't working then because you're not chasing the why. You're not finding out why this behaviour is happening. Um, well, and she says, and, you know, that child is is repeatedly doing behaviour that they know is getting them negative consequences. So yeah. it's not that they aren't doing it. It's that they can't. If you are doing something that you know results in negative consequences, but you keep and doing it, there's, still a, doing there's, it. Yeah. there's a good chance that it's not something that's in your control. You don't yeah. willingly sign yourself up to punishment, basically. Yeah, completely. And you're going to be embarrassed in front of your peers. You're going to get in trouble with your parents and the teacher is going to be annoyed with you. Um, yeah, you absolutely don't want that to happen. So you you can't behave in the way that your teacher is expecting you to. But I, I, I found myself as I was listening to that going, oh, my God, if I was teaching again and teaching in the secondary school where you only have them for, you know, maximum of an hour a day um, and you're expected to follow like the school's discipline procedures, how the heck you then begin to chase the why which you obviously want to, like you do the job because you care about mm. the kids. And I, of course, I remember the children that are sparky and a little bit different and find it harder for whatever reason to 
uh, follow the rules in inverted commas. They're the kids that I really remember and I'm really, really fond mm. of. And they're the kids you instinctively want to help and be there for. But you haven't bloody got time. And the whole bloody structure of it is so wrong. It's well, so that's where that's kind of the, the the bit that's kind of where I think I was going, where this book is written for parents and so assumes a lot of one to one or small you know, you know, maybe one to two, one to three, maybe if you've got three mm-hmm. kids, but it yeah. assumes a lot of downtime, a lot of free time, a lot of unstructured time. Um, and I, I think that is why. again, I think this is very similar to you and very similar to a lot of people of that's why I stopped teaching because this was what I wanted to do. Mm. And, the, and, and let's be clear, right? I, I have issues with the school system, but my issue is that I think the majority of teachers want to do this and the school yeah. system pre- and the system prevents them from doing it. I have no issue with individual to, you know, I, granted there are teachers that are below par, but that's not the majority of teachers. The majority of teachers want to do this, want to be a secure attachment figure, want to have these beneficial relationships, but because they are being squeezed with bigger class sizes and um, more academic testing and all those things, then they aren't that they aren't in that system able to to achieve these things and then yeah. that's where i think books like this can come under scrutiny is because they're rec- because they're only writing this for parents someone like us will recommend this to a teacher and they will immediately just go well i won't have time for any of that and throw it back mm-hmm. which is where i wonder if these these authors did have in their minds teachers specifically you know, would they be able to write something that could get accepted into state education? You, yeah, do do you know what I'm saying with yeah, that? Something, something that's going to influence policy, something that is directed at, at policymakers. And, um, or, yeah, they did more training in schools and then raised awareness so that teachers were able to kind of fight against the system. Mm. Just yeah. sit down with some senior politicians and break down their attachment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goodness I can't yeah um we've gone over the hour mark so i think that's a good time to um wrap things up i would just recommend i don't think there's anybody that i wouldn't recommend this book to i think as long as you keep in your head that it's primarily written for parents so i think if you are a teacher or a forest school leader read it maybe you know apply it with your own families um but there will only be bits that you can take away to your practice no I disagree I think it's more I think the stuff on attachment as you described is relevant to your one's interactions with any human being so having a you know even if you don't agree with it even if you think well you know that's maybe part of the picture attachment theory it's like another arrow in your whatever quiver isn't it quiver in the arrow yeah but I think I think one of the things is, is that um it can come a, a, you can read something like this. And if you are a teacher or a leader, so like our setting is quite a play-based setting. We're both, you know, very interested in play working and we, we believe in those principles. Um, so I think you could end up reading something like this and then feeling like you have to force some interactions because you go, I've, I've got to make sure they feel seen. I've got to make sure they feel soothe i've got to make and you could actually overstep the mark in yeah, in yeah. in order of being like i've got to make sure they've got an attachment whereas the kids are going do you know what do one we're playing swords yeah. you know 
Yeah, 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 that's true. True point. Um, talking of uh, our setting being a play based setting, um, yeah. how, how are you finding the lack of that kind of play in your life? I mean, you have two young children, but it's a different vibe, like they're different ages. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because I am, um, I yesterday was it yesterday? Yeah, um, so I've got three children in my house currently. Um, and they're all like playing together with themselves and I'm like okay you guys good you're, you're fine I'm kind of like making checking in with them the whole time making sure I'm not getting too involved in something that I'm involved with just keeping an ear out in case they need me and um, and they're a bit older so they're you know age between five and nine and um, and I'm just feeling a little bit left out <laughs> oh. <laughs> basically like can I can I play and I'm like oh Okay, and then yesterday I ended up um, dressing up as an old hag from probably somewhere in Eastern Europe. I'm not really sure. The accent was, uh, you know, unidentifiable. <laughs> um, running the cafe mud kitchen in my garden. Sorry, what I... did she sound like? <laughs> um, she sounded a little bit like King Julian from Madagascar. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna a... need an example. Oh, I can't do it now. <laughs> I, I might do it in a minute. Um, Oh, can I do it? She was she was Any, running anyway, the cafe, was she? Anyway, they came they came to my cafe <laughs> and uh, and yo yo you start you start the food start it no you start start it put this in yes it's nice gives flavour yes sounded like that uh, but more croaky and hunchbacked and she limped and um <laughs> and she was like dolloping out slop to these um rich people they were the rich people and okay. uh, splashing them with like mud pies and stuff and um and they basically kept giving me like the signal that they wanted to end the game <laughs> like, no okay now you can invite me to your house if you want to so you go to your house you can invite me and they basically took pity on me and then invited me to their castle luckily and that was all fine um but yeah i'm really really missing playing <laughs> they all came out all at once those poor children gonna be traumatized I'm like oh my god well i had um, doing it, 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 i think i realized my uh play types i went into the woods uh to uh, cut some firewood and do some kind of maintenance and uh well I'm gonna end the podcast on a real bummer now so I I live sort of 15 minutes away from the woods and I spent about four four or five hours in the woods and then on my 15 minute drive home just teared the whole way just cried just on my just and I and I couldn't work work out what it was about and I think it was to do with like the sort of futility of like normally when I'm in the woods I'm building a new thing and my excitement is all based around like I cannot wait to see them play with this thing I cannot wait to see them play with this space and that almost um you know they say that some people um uh uh, they gain weight because they have someone who shows them love through food yes and I realized that the way I was showing clearly the way I show love to the groups is to go I've built this thing for you I've yeah. built this place I've built... I made your and, thing. and so without just the futility of like well I'll just leave it then yeah. it's just and that was very I didn't feel I didn't feel seen Gemma I didn't feel yeah. seen Aww. and but it, you know yeah. it will we've got enough firewood until 2045 Amazing. Uh, there's no trees left so I'm hoping that <laughs> I'm hoping that the quarantine lasts a bit longer because they need to grow. And um, 
just repopulate at the moment it's just a big car park um but yeah it's it's uh you know i think there's lots of connections going on out there um digitally and that will keep us going and we will get back out (laughs) whether or not whether we just get to miss the fun summer and we get to do a winter and then another winter (laughs) don't don't even Winter all the time. Winter all the time. Be like forcing them to play my weird role play games that um they will be like yeah I kind of had a strong attachment with my mother except that she was insane. I uh, really hope you get stuck in this character. Like if it went long enough that you just came back to the woods and couldn't break it. I can send you a picture of her if you want. I would I I would really enjoy. Took a picture of her, but it did actually look a bit like the picture of us. It's the same character I think. As um, do you, the first time we played like camouflage hide and seek, and we yes. took bits of like, and then there's a picture of us, you know, I've got it around my face, it's mm. a bit like that. Okay, it's a good look, a solid look. Yeah. Okay, right, we'll then. leave it there then. Yeah. Cool. All right. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the forest school podcast